you know, for the last number of months, more people have been working from home. And because they're working from home, the roads are less busy. And I see that because there's times, many times, I have to go into my daily commute and go to my office. But if the roads are less busy, why are there still so many crashes on the road? There's more space. Vehicles occupy space. And when there's less vehicles, there's more space. So what is it that's causing crashes? Is it the impatience that we have? Is it we leave things late and we're now in a hurry? Or is it already the driving habits that you've built or you've just forgotten some of the rules of the road to help keep you and your vehicle safe? I think maybe it's time for a review. Welcome to another episode of Speed Bumps, a safe driving podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about stop or slow when you come to a stop sign, what my pet peeve really is, and we'll talk about another story about Canada's worst driver. Let's go. Now, it doesn't really matter where you are, you're going to come across a stop sign. Residential streets have them, some main roads have them. It's part of our daily lives behind the wheel. Now, some people take them very lightly. They slow down enough, figuring that if they go really slow, it's close enough to a stop and they're not going to get a ticket. Well, in a lot of cases, that's true. And, and people will roll through and uh, do that rolling stop, which is kind of an oxymoron, but they don't come to a full stop. They're not really thinking about stopping. They're thinking about going. Now, one of the reasons, there's a few reasons why stop signs are in place. Uh, in many cases, they're there to keep the speed of traffic down. So, for example, you're on a, on a straight road for quite a while, a number of blocks, and every couple blocks, there's a stop sign. So, by the time you get your speed up, you've got to start slowing down again. That's good. It keeps the speed down and stops street racing and, and stunt driving and things like that. But there's another reason. Part of it is also to let the cross traffic through. So remember, if we don't have a stop sign, the cross traffic will. But we need to stop as well. And sometimes there's always stops when you have a, a very busy area, like near school zones or shopping areas or senior areas. But we have to make sure that we actually do come to a stop. Now, some people will say, well, stop or slow, what's the difference? So I bring in this little story, and you may have heard this one, where if I got a baseball bat and I started beating you over the head with it, do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down? There's a difference. So when you come to a stop, you need to come to a stop. Now, when most people come to a stop sign, they slow down enough. That's all their, their mind is, that they're not going to get a ticket. But really what we have to do is stop and look to see if it's clear. There's a lot of people out there, including pedestrians, who are trusting that you're going to stop. And pedestrians who don't drive don't think like drivers. They think like pedestrians. So when you see that, that octagon, come to a full stop, look to see if it's clear, and then go. And part of looking to see if it's clear is to look over your shoulder to see if there's a cyclist or a pedestrian that's about to walk into your path. So the sign says stop. The sign is not a slow and go. So close doesn't count in that case. So one of the things too is about uh, stopping. People will say, well, if I stop, I'm going to waste time. Really? 
you stop for about a second or two. That's it. And if you had 10 stop signs on your commute, you know how much time you're, quote, losing? Yeah, maybe 30 seconds, maybe. And you're going to catch that back up when you get onto the main road because you're going to catch up to red lights too. So when the sign says stop, come to a stop and look to see if it's clear. Think about stopping. Think about ensuring that it's safe to go before you go. Now, one way to avoid a rolling stop, one of the biggest ways about people who do roll a stop is when they're turning right. So you're coming up to the stop sign. You're going to turn right. Before you come to a stop, you're looking left to see if it's clear. Your brain says it's clear. Now your brain says to go. Because the order is, I stop. I look to see if it's clear. If it's clear, I go. You skipped over the first part. You skipped right to number two to check to see if it's clear. You're not even thinking about stopping. So why would you stop if you're not thinking about it? So make sure that you feel the car come to a stop before you check to see if it's clear. That also means if you're going straight as well. If you do this, you probably never roll a stop again, and you're not going to notice any difference in your commute. But you will notice you're not going to get a ticket. You know, for the last uh, number of months, it's it's pretty tough for us to get out and do things. There's there's very little for us to do, especially now that the weather's colder. A lot of places are closed. We're trying to social distance and all of that. So if the weather's nice, we tend to go for a walk. That's good. We get exercise, get some fresh air, and, and that's a good thing. But if it's a little too cold or the weather's not the greatest, sometimes we'll go for a drive. And that's okay, too. And I love driving, and, and that's a good thing. But we don't want to drive in such a way that's going to cause a problem for other road users, especially by distracted driving, things like that. But what a lot of people do is they go out for a drive and they take their family with them. And part of their family is their pet. I love my pets and, and I love animals. I love all animals, really. And I just don't think taking them in the vehicle is a good idea, unless, of course, you're taking them to the vet. Now, we see this happen a lot. I just need you to think about this. If you're an individual who brings their pet in the vehicle when you go to the store, well, your pet doesn't have a bank account. They don't need to go with you. So what happens? They're sitting in the back seat and you have to swerve suddenly to avoid a problem or slam on your brakes. They're not secured. They're a loose object and they can fly around hitting their head against the window or the metal door frame. That's not good for your pet. You know, the one that you love. Now, the worst part is if you, people that hold their pet in the front seat as a passenger. I want you to think about this for a second. Oh, they like to look out the window. Well, they're a dog. They, of course, they like to look outside, but they can look outside at home. You hold the pet in your lap. Here's the deal. And suddenly, the driver has to brake hard. As a human reaction, you hold your hands out to brace yourself, even though you have your seatbelt on, I hope, but you brace yourself against the dashboard. But you know that those two hands that you're holding onto your pet, they're no longer holding onto your pet. Now your pet is a loose object, and they go flying forward, hitting their head against the glass or the dash. You've injured your pet just because you want to take them in the car for a ride. If you really love your pet, get a harness. 
They're not very expensive at all. And they hook up to the seatbelt uh, system in your back seat. So that way, there's soft things like the back of a seat. There's the cushion of the seat, but they're not going to be flying around. Now, I have to continue this part. The people who drive with a pet on their lap, they have their dog. The dog is not driving. Get them off your lap. The problem is, if an airbag does come out, because the airbag is closer to the driver because of the steering wheel, that airbag can kill your pet. Why would you want to do that to your pet? Now, there's charges too. Having a pet on your lap, you could be charged with um, crowding the driver's seat. And if it caused a crash because of a distraction, you could be charged with careless driving. And if you get the Humane Society involved, it could be um, endangering the life of an animal. Nobody wants those charges. You don't want to injure your family member, your dog. So get a harness. They're not that expensive, and they're going to keep them happy. And if you don't have to bring them in the vehicle with you, don't. I can say that loose animals in a vehicle is really my pet peeve. The first year that Discovery ran Canada's Worst Driver was in 2005. And I was asked in the winter, probably about January, I guess, if I wanted to participate as a judge and their head instructor on the show. And I, I kind of went for an interview. I brought a tape of, of a, an interview that I did on television and uh, it was accepted and I got the gig. And it was been cool since uh, that started. And uh, it was really kind of a, an interesting thing because I had not seen Britain's Worst Driver, which is what it was founded off of. So I met with the staff and I met with the crew and the writer and the producer and the executive producer. And I learned a little bit more about the premise of the show. The premise of the show is to highlight people who are bad drivers. Now, I don't know why we would want to highlight them, but so be it, we, we did. And it kind of brings their, their lack of abilities to the surface, shall we say. Now, a lot of them are really nice people. They just couldn't drive worth beans. But you wonder, why would somebody want to go on this show? I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. So we had hundreds of people nominated. So what they did is, is that the, they had to nominate and then they had to send a video of the person's bad driving. Now, if you just wanted to be on television, you can only fake it for so long if you're a bad driver. Because your good habits would come out, you know, out of, out of habit. So... If you're really bad, it's it's natural and it's really easy to show how bad you are. So they narrowed it down to, I believe it was about 20, the 20 top or <laughs> the 20 bottom drivers, I guess. And then they sent out a crew to figure out um, which eight or so that, that they wanted. And, and every year there were eight participants. And part of it is making sure that they were camera friendly, that they would speak when, when spoken to and things like that. Because if someone is super quiet, it's not good television. So when the show started, I realized there was a mix between education and entertainment. So it was edutainment is kind of what I called it. And the first one was in the wintertime. And uh, luckily, we had to stop shooting when the, the sun set. So it was about 6 o'clock in the evening when we were done. But we usually started around 7 in the morning. So they're kind of long days. But at least I got to settle down. And, and the 
the second and third seasons when I was on, it was in the summer. So the sun wasn't setting until after nine o'clock. And those were really, really long days. So when people would say, oh, this is Scott, you may recognize him. He was on Canada's Worst Driver. And the look on the people's face, they're kind of dropped and they weren't smiling. And it was always, no, no, he wasn't a participant. He was one of the judges. So it was kind of neat to be on the show to, to learn about how the industry goes. And I made some good friends with within the industry that were part of the crew, camera operators and editors and things like that and directors. And it was quite an experience because when I started in 1988 as a driving instructor, I never really thought I would be doing Canada's Worst Driver or anything like that. I just thought I'd be teaching people how to drive. And the cool part about the participants is most of them, when I showed them something afterwards and it worked, it was like, wow, why wasn't I shown that before? Well, you only know what you know. And if you were never shown something, quite often, you would never really know it. So I've been able to stay in contact with a few of the people that were on the show when I was on the show. And we do chat periodically, sometimes on Facebook and sometimes via email. And it's really kind of nice to know that they've taken driving seriously and they're no longer Canada's worst driver. And I think we have enough of those on our roads on a regular basis anyway. Thanks for listening to this episode of Speed Bumps, a safe driving podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Each episode does come out on a Sunday. Now, if you have to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Safe Driver. If you'd like to drop me an email and send me some feedback, I'd like to hear from you that way too. My email address is safedriver36 at yahoo.ca. Drive safe and we'll talk soon. I'm Scott Marshall.